Well, hey, how are you this morning? Good? Hey, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Well, hey, uh, let me introduce myself to you first. My name is Drew Daniels, and I work with our 1829 Young Adults Ministry. Where are you at, Young Adults? 1829, I see you. Hey, gang, 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 gang. Well, hey, uh, I'm glad to be here with you today. Um, If you are joining us, um, we are in a series that's called Why Bible? Why should we follow the Bible? Why should we trust the Bible? Why should we believe the Bible? And today, uh, I drew the short straw, and I got the Old Testament. So, (laughs) let's see how this goes together, shall we? But uh, I'm excited because I think many of us have some some very hardcore, visceral reactions to the Old Testament. I mean, many of us don't understand how to pronounce a lot of the names and the geography, and then we don't maybe understand God's character inside of it. And before I preface, I want to actually give some credit where credit is due. Um, a lot of this uh, message was inspired by two pastors. One, Andy Stanley, who's a church pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, and I use a lot of his content and some of his stuff that he says. He's a brilliant thinker. You should maybe look at some of the series this is inspired from. And then also a guy named Ed Young, who kind of inspired some of the object lessons you'll see here later today. But before we jump into the Old Testament, which I know you're so excited to just jump into, am I right? Okay. Uh, I want to talk about intentions. Because intentions are everything. Words don't matter as much as intentions do. Anybody in the house married in here? You know? Okay. Many of us. All right. One of the worst things you could say in marriage is, you are just like your mom or your dad. Man, wow, okay, three of us. All right, awesome. (laughs) You are just like your mother or father. Sometimes we can use the harshest words, but not all of the time do they hurt us directly because there's a difference between, I see that you are hurt and you're responding and reacting out of it versus you are trying to cause me pain because intentions are everything. When someone's malicious and vindictive, it's completely different than someone's even reacting. In our close friendships, you can say some of the harshest things, but not always do the words hurt. Sometimes it's the intentions of the words that hurt even more. So there's a a game that was played at one of the camps that I worked at, and it's one of the most misleading games I've ever seen, and it's called the three questions game. Incredibly misleading. So my friend was setting up with another girl one night, and he was like, oh my gosh, have you ever heard of this misleading? It's called three questions game. And she's like, no, I never heard. He goes, okay, do you want to play? She goes, sure. And so he's like, all right, here's the rules. You have to say yes to the three questions that I ask you and you just have to trust me. And she's like, okay, let me think about it. Yes, am I good at this game or what, you know? (laughs) And she goes, all right. And again, this is a very misleading game. He goes, all right, question number one. Do you wanna see what I can do with my feet? And she goes, sure, yeah. And so he moves up right in front of her face like this close. And then he goes, do you wanna see what I can do with my hands? And at this point, she's already a little bit nervous and she's like, Yes? So he slams his hands against the wall. Now at this point, my friend realized this probably wasn't a good idea with this girl because it was way too misleading. And he began to kind of sense that she was ready to participate in what she thought the end goal of the game was. But he didn't know what to do, so he just had to go forward. And he goes, "Um, do you want to see what I can do with my lips? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, all the way. (laughs) 
Sometimes our actions communicate our intentions, don't they? What we do many times communicates our heart behind it. And when it comes to our Heavenly Father and as we engage in the Old Testament, we are unsure of God's intentions. We're afraid he's there to monitor our behavior. We're afraid if we read and engage the Old Testament, he's gonna teach us a lesson. I mean, it appears that way. And by looking at God's actions, I'm afraid of his intentions. And is that really the same God that we had then as he is today? And so for many of us in this room, as we are um, reading the Bible or even in our faith or specifically the Old Testament, and it's something I always like to say, young adults don't at me, I've used this before. But there's two kinds of people in this room, the thinkers and the trusters. Now the thinkers, you have... A lot of logic, fact, reason you love to explore your faith. A truster, or sorry, it's not a feeler, but a truster is somebody who has all this hard affection and relationship towards God. Now, a thinker, your favorite authors are a bunch of dead guys. You analyze how you analyze. Someone asks you how you're doing today, and it turns into an existential life crisis where you dig up childhood wounds, and it informs your emotional state today. So here's my question. Who are my thinkers in the house right now? See, look how carefully you just analyze whether or not you should raise your hand. You're just like my protractor. If I raise it 90 degrees, it just. And then I got my trusters in the house. You say things like, man, God is just in control. You're saying for everything like I'm a beloved child of the most high king and he calls me beautiful. To a truster, buying the book is the same thing as reading it. For the trusters in the room, Maybe when it comes to faith, we can find you in weird Christian prayer circles and people are praying and you're getting really into it and you do what I call spiritual yummies. You're just responding, you're like, mmm, yes, mmm. And sometimes it's even like, mmm, Jesus. You're like, ooh, that went right to the throne, wow. <laughs> today, my hope is, is that if you are a thinker in, or if you are a truster in the house, today is for you to be educated. If you are a thinker in the house, today is for you to get medicated. Because the truth is, is when it comes to our faith, we need both. We need to have, we can't just feel and experience a relationship with God because you want to learn about who the person you're in relationship with. You don't want to just learn and know everything and be logical and detailed. You want to be able to experience the back and forth of an affectionate heart. I think Jesus says it best that we worship God in spirit and in truth. Come on, who's encouraged today that we, don't, we can't just worship God with our head, but we can worship him with our heart. We don't just have to worship him with our heart. We can worship him in data and fact and logic and reasoning. And I think when it comes to the Old Testament, when it, when it comes to engaging the culture that we're around, many times we can give shallow or faith-based answers to questions that are maybe harder to digest about the Old Testament that we don't understand. However, today, what I hope to do is provide a framework for you that I believe that love is the primary intention of the heart of our Father. It is the intrinsic motivator. It is the description of his nature. It is the description of his essence. It is a part of his name. In fact, in 1 John, it says that God is love. Whoever does not know love does not know God. And at least in the New Testament, we have Jesus. And Jesus says, I and the Father are one, that Jesus is God. In fact, other authors in the ancient world, they confirm this. It says in Colossians that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For God was pleased to have all 
of his fullness dwell in him. The Hebrews author says it this way. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character, actions, motivations of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Meaning, when I read the words of Jesus, I see the heart of my heavenly father. When I read the teachings and the heart and the aching and the compassion and the justice of Jesus, I can see the compassion and the aching and the justice of my heavenly father. And I can't mistake the two. But when we read the Old and New Testament, the, it's kind of like how we view photos on our iPhones or Androids for those of you who still need God's help. <laughs> Is that we can look at the New Testament and it's like the, the Instagram. Um, if, you, if you're old, Instagram is an app that you download on your phone. And it can look edited and it's exactly the way that we want it to look. It's, it's Jesus saying the things we want him to say. We see God's heart more clearly because it's pretty and it's picturesque. But then the Old Testament, it's kind of raw. Everything's about 15 pounds heavier and has a few chins. That's the difference. And I think when we, if we've ever maybe engaged in some of the stories or heard about them, maybe we didn't attend Sunday school, but maybe if we, we've heard about it, they can seem archaic. archaic. And we have two reactions. The first reaction we have to the Old Testament is that we question God's character. We question God's character, his heart, who he really is inside. We ask questions like, why is God so upset? How come there's so much war and there's violence? Why is God so concerned with the rules and making sure the bedroom's a certain way and making sure food is sacrificed in a certain way? And why does it seem that God is so conditional? I mean, he seems to be, if you love me, then you'll, you'll prosper. If not, like it's gonna get out of hand and there's gonna be some terrible things that happen. Or, or the second kind of uh, reaction we have is that we're skeptical of the stories. We become kind of a little bit apprehensive to maybe believe that they're true. We think, was there a literal huge flood? Was there a literal fish that swallowed a prophet? We ask, was there a literal flood that washed over the earth? We ask, was there a literal six-day creation? And we get obsessed with the information of what's happening. We get obsessed with the content. And what happens is when people have questions about what we're reading, a lot of times we can slap faith-based answers that don't address these questions to real people. In fact, Dave Wilson, last week, he mentioned religious nuns, people who on surveys about religion, they mark none. They're so apathetic, they don't want to mark agnostic or even Christianity or even atheism for that matter because there's that little bit of emotion inside of their answer. And for these people, most of the times, they know the stories of the Bible, but they just don't believe the stories of the Bible anymore. And to kind of illustrate maybe how it feels to be a religious nun, I have an example for you. So my wife and I, we've been together for three years, married, but we've been dating for six years. But let's say, for example, today is the very first day that we met. And we meet out in the lobby, and the sparks are flying. You're going to need some scientific beakers to measure all the chemistry that's just flying between the two of us. And as we're out there, and she goes home, she's interested in me, she goes to my Instagram. And she wants to see all of the follower, the people I'm following and, and who I'm following and all the accounts. And as she's scrolling through, she notices that every third or fourth account is some Instagram model or some gym fitness girl who's on there who's not really wearing a lot of clothes. And she kind of is hesitant, but she brushes it off and she takes a chance and so she goes on a date with me. And we show up at the date. And let's just say, if I pull up my phone, I go, man, look at my cute dog that I just bought. And it's on the back of my phone. And as I show her my phone, there's a, a dating app called Tinder on my phone where you're kind of judging people on their hotness. You're swiping left, right, up and down, back into their past. And, 
And she sees this and she kind of brushes it off and she just goes, you know, I don't, I don't really know. Maybe I'll give this guy another try. But then a few dates later, I get back with her and I'm like, oh my gosh, here's this Instagram account I love. You, you should check it out. And I hand her my phone and I go to the bathroom. And in the bathroom, she goes through my messages and she just sees a ton of messages to all of these girls saying, hey, hey, hey. Man, at least you can just respond. So what's you up to? And as I sit back down, she goes, true, man, there's all this evidence and I have all these questions now because I don't, I don't really understand what's happening. Do you like really value me? And what if I said to her, I was like, girl, oh, girl, girl. Yo, listen, baby, here's, here's what's up. Drew works in mysterious ways. And guess what? You, you, yeah, you can have all of your questions. It's okay to struggle. But there's gonna come a day where you're gonna find out Drew's love for you and you'll never have questions again. Because that's how powerful Drew's gonna be and he's gonna convince you and you're not gonna have to worry anymore, baby. <laughs> you would never give a faith-based answer to a fact-based question. Because if she's gonna bring you evidence, you need to provide an explanation. And all the ladies in here said, <laughs> if she's gonna bring you the receipts, you gotta bring a reason. And I think when it comes to people who are struggling intellectually with the questions of the Bible, we can't provide faith-based answers to their fact-based questions. And we need to be unafraid to engage in the mess and to provide other intentions that maybe God was after inside of the Old Testament because it's, it seems archaic and it seems ancient and we don't really understand how to explain it, how to tell people. Do you know how to tell people about the Old Testament and how to make sense of that God in the Bible? I, so, so today what I really wanna do is I wanna actually spend time maybe looking at the Old Testament a little bit. And for some of us, this is gonna be a review, but for others of us, it's gonna be new. And so it kind of all starts um, in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter one, verse one, and we kind of see the fall where there's this delicious apple that was happening. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. However, the surrounding nations, they had their own creation accounts as well. However, the biblical account, the Jewish account, is far different than the Canaanite creation myth, is far different than the Egyptian creation myth, is far different than the Babylonian creation myth. Because in these other creation myths, there appear to be multiple gods at the beginning of the universe and they're at war with themselves, they're at odds with themselves, and they have to create, they have, they, they have violence and they create out of the, the world out of other gods' body parts and body fluids. In fact, in the Babylonian creation myth, there is a God named Marduk and he seems to win out and he's the chief of all the gods. And actually, this is an excerpt from the, the Babylonian Enuma Elish, which is an actual creation account. And he says this, Marduk says, I will establish a savage. Man shall be his name. Savage man I will create. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. In fact, in the Babylonian Enuma Elish, it takes about five books to be able to get to the creation of man. It appears like man is an afterthought. However, in the biblical narrative, it appears that God has created the universe from the beginning right away with an absolute purpose and a design in mind. And so with this 
creation story, many times we get obsessed with the details. We get obsessed with the information, and how, could, how, could, how couldn't we? But the truth is, is many times biblical authors were looking for a deeper spiritual meaning that was existing in this time. They were looking to not maybe provide information. They were trying to inform people of their intention. The question is, I'm not here to answer whether or not God literally created the earth in six days because I don't have the answer. I can't make a fact claim for you today. But it's not so much um, that we don't know how he created it. I believe the story is that that God created the universe. And with this God, there was no other gods. And with this God, he created mankind and womankind to be the pinnacle of relationship. And with this God, there was no violence. There was no struggle. With this God, there was no rival. With this God, he created it with love and a design in mind. And he said, come, let us make man in our image and in our likeness to bear our characteristics and attributes so that they can think and feel the way that I think and feel. And this man will choose whether or not it loves me and I will save and I will be in a relationship with this man. And for many of us, we can't count the thing. Like, but I don't understand how that works. I mean, it, it seems like they're trying to provide us with a lot of information. So I want, I want to provide you with an example. Now, let's say, for example, it's the year 3000. And climate change is in full effect and the Lions still haven't won a playoff game. <laughs> and it's in the year 3000. And people are looking back at the year 2019 and they have little tidbits of information about what was going on. And they, they look at each other and go, oh my gosh, everybody in the year 2019 was always happy. And they're like, no, I don't know if that's true. I don't believe it. They're like, no, no, we look, we found it. And they found interactions of us talking to each other. And we said things like, how are you? And we're like, good. And they're like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, another day, another dollar. Why? Because they're seeing information of us saying that we're doing good but that's not the intention of what we mean. What we mean is to be polite in, in the context of conversational cues so that we can appropriately respond in relationship and not disturb the peace by actually responding with how we are. And for us in 2019, we would never strategically try to answer literally our feelings so that people in the year 3000 would just not be confused anymore. No, but we are going to respond inside of our cultural context. And what if people near 3,000 said, no, 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 if you don't believe that this happened, that you don't understand what all humans could be because all humans could always be good all of the time. But guess what? That's the information, but there's always a different intention. And with all of the biblical authors, again, they wanted to communicate a deeper spiritual meaning. And so when it comes, if you're skeptical of the stories, and that's your reaction where you don't know and you're questioning everything, you're testing everything, you have a coworker that's doing this, your husband who didn't come this morning, you have a teenager that's doubting everything. And if you're skeptical of the stories of the Bible, find the Bible's intention instead of its information. Because a lot of times God is trying to communicate a different heart than what we are originally after. And so after we move along in the story and we find that God turns away from being the creator God and he's going to be the God, the founder. And he starts with a man who really has no family. His name's Abraham and he chooses Abraham and he wants to establish an international, multi-generational purpose through Abraham and his lineage to, to, to do two things. Number one, to represent God to the world and to redeem the world to God. And so he gives Abraham a son named Isaac and a son named Jacob. And from Jacob, there becomes 12 sons. And, 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 and all of a sudden now, this 
man who is chosen, there's a huge nation, and the nation eventually gets enslaved in the land of Egypt to a Pharaoh who believes that he might be one of the gods or at least close to one of the gods. And the information says that there was patriarchs and franchise players, if you will, who started this faith, but the intention, God says, I want to represent you to represent me to the world and for you to redeem the world to me. And we find ourselves with a man named Moses who was appointed to free all of this nation from Egypt and break the chains of slavery. And, they, and God does this through us, a miraculous vent of parting the Red Sea, and they get into the desert, they wander on for 40 years, and all of a sudden they end up at what's called the Sinai Covenant, or a land agreement, where God says, if you obey these laws, I'm going to give you this promised land, but I will have some rules, some laws, and some stipulations to you. And they didn't just have 10 commandments, they had 613 commandments. And these, he said, God says, hey, obey these laws, obey these rules, obey these stipulations, and if you do, the world who is watching will see me through you and the way that you interact. And here's the part where many of us get hung up on some of the fine print in some of these laws, specifically in the book of Leviticus where you know, a lot of critics would look and say, how can you believe this book? It has all these, these rules and it's archaic and it's unsophisticated and it's barbaric and, and it seems like it was written in antiquity and it's just ancient and a lot of it definitely appears that way and it was written in a very ancient time. However, the law was far superior to any other law or morality that surrounding nations had in the ancient world. It was far superior. In fact, there are about sexual laws, there's about roughly 19 of them, and here's an interesting stat of the day. 17, roughly depending on how you count, 17 of the laws mentioned in Leviticus, where it's like, man, is God really interrupting in the bedroom again and telling us how? It's 17 of the 19 laws today in developed nations are either illegal or frowned upon. Things like don't sleep with your sibling, which I think is pretty reasonable to me. In fact, this law protected some of its most vulnerable people. It protected women. Before we realized that women were equal, it protected women. In fact, Jesus mentions this in the New Testament saying, hey, Moses didn't allow you to get a certificate of divorce just for no reason. And it protected women who up until that time were not treated as equal and were never protected. It protected children who weren't much in the eyes of society. It protected servants and slaves. It protected the foreigner, that you should welcome the foreigner, that this law was far superior to the morality and the customs and the traditions of surrounding nations. In fact, up until 500 years ago, even in the Egyptian monarchy, they'd still have each other marry their siblings. That this, that was written maybe 1,000 years, 1,200 years, 1,400 years before Jesus was far superior than many of the, mora the morality of the surrounding nations. And so from here, we move into the time of the referees, also known as the judges. And the judges, they were people that God had appointed to be the deliverer of Israel and they rescued Israel once they had entered the, into the promised land to fight against Israel's opponents. And at this point, God wanted to be king. The information is he appointed judges, but the intention is that God said, I wanna be king because I know it's right, I know it's best. But instead the people, what they did was they, instead of uh, looking up, they looked around. They looked around at surrounding nations and they all had kings and they were jealous and they said, we want to have a king to represent us on the earth. And so God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow this to happen. And so he, he instates Saul and his heart is grieved because Saul disobeys. And then he puts David on the throne as man after God's own heart. And David has famous failure. And literally by the fourth or depending on how you count, fifth king, 
already there is a civil war that's happening. The wise King Solomon's son named King Rehoboam, he decides that he is going to increase the taxes of all the workers and laborers, and there becomes a divide and a split into the 10 tribes that are northern tribes called Israel and to the two southern tribes, which is called Judah. And at this time, there are people who are called prophets who would remind all the Israelites to remember the Sinai covenant and all the laws that God had instated. And they talked to both the uh, Israel king and the Judah king and saying, hey, you better repent and turn back because God said this was a little bit conditional if you remember. However, the kings didn't listen and the people never repented. And so in both kingdoms in the north, there was, a, there was an eviction that happened. And the eviction was with the Assyrians and in the south with Judah, it was to the Babylonians. And the Israelites were taken away from their homeland. And when it comes to reading a lot of these prophets and seeing what all these nations and warfare does, this is the part when we read in the Old Testament, we're like, man, God, I, I question God's character because it seems like he's angry. And is this the same God who I'm following in the New Testament? Because I'm not sure if I wanna follow this God. However, the information is that there is warfare, but maybe here is the intention of God. God said, hey, don't follow the traditions of the surrounding nations. Don't follow the customs of the surrounding nations. Don't follow the rituals of the surrounding nations. Don't follow the morality of the surrounding nation. Don't follow the polytheism of other nations. Because if you do, they will cross your borders and I will give you to the surrounding nations and I will give you a nice and up close look so that you can see the people who you admire and wanna follow, how they're gonna interact with you. And once you've decided you wanted to repent, you then can go and return to your land that I have promised to you. And here, this was conditional in the sense that God said, hey, if you obey me, you will prosper. But it's unconditional in the sense that said, I still, dating back to Abraham, have a redemptive purpose that is multi-generational, that will be international, that the people of the world will be redeemed through you, and that will not change. In fact, in this time, God explicitly said that he would warn them whether or not they were turning they were turning away from God. He calls them, it's called covenantal chastenings, where the moment the people started to rebel or turn away from God, he would send plagues and locusts and warnings to say, hey, you're off track. And ultimately what would result is military devastation. And God says, I want you to represent me to the world. And I want the world to be redeemed through you. And I can't have that happen if you're abiding by all these other principles. And so maybe you might get exactly what you are asking for. And finally, God allows the Israelite people to come back and they make a U-turn and they get to come back to the land of Israel and they establish a home, they build a second temple. And then finally, in the last 400 years of the Old Testament, between the Old and the New Testament, God goes silent because God is at the appropriate time establishing a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that he had to adjust his approach into over time according to the already existing rules of kingdoms that existed. And so for many of us, if you question God's character, God's actions had intentions. His actions had intentions. Let me put it to you this way. And if you don't hear anything else I say here today, I want you to leave knowing this because I believe this is exactly was the intention of our Father's heart, and it was this. God followed the rules of the kingdoms 
to establish a kingdom that would eventually rule. God to follow the rules of the kingdoms of the earth so that he could establish a kingdom that would rule forever. He is going to enter into history for where they were and not for where we are here in the 21st century. Think of it this way. If a five-year-old child comes to you and asks, God is kind of like a a good father. If a five-year-old asks, where do babies come from? You're going to give that child a different answer than you would give a teenager that answered a question, where do babies come from? Then you would give a medical student the answer to that question. And nobody's lying but you accommodate according to the maturity of where people are and what they do know and what they don't know. That God is going to meet people where they are, that the rest of the world saw the lens of the gods or the punishment. And God said, hey, if you obey me, you will prosper, but I have a different intention for you. And all the other kingdoms, they're playing by these rules. I'm gonna adjust my approach, but I want to create something that is far superior, that is far better, so that at the right time, I can establish a kingdom. I'll give you another example. For, for instance, animal sacrifices. We look at this in Leviticus, which I, I'm sure you're very thankful I didn't spend time in Leviticus today. For anybody who's ever done a Bible reading plan, you're like, Genesis, cool stories, man. You're like an Exodus. You're like, wow, powerful. You're Leviticus. You're like, I need to go shower, man. I don't get this stuff. Is it ritual cleansings. But animal sacrifices, this was common. People will sacrifice food to the gods so the gods could eat. And it was like you were dining with the gods and the gods wanted it. And and this is the surrounding nations. The gods wanted it very specific so that you would show you a reverence so they wouldn't punish you for it. The gods wanted it very specific. It's kind of like an angry husband who wants his meal prepared in a very specific way. And the Israelites knew this when they were in captivity to Egypt and to Babylon and all these other religious surrounding nation influences. But with this God, there was something that was different because the prophets condemned this notion that God was hungry or even that God had a face that you could even make an image or a graven image out of this God because he was the unknown God. He was the one God who created all of mankind to be in relationship with him. And with this God, you didn't just feed him to appease him. You would offer your sacrifice to repair your relationship with him. God didn't need to be happy. He needed to be with you and connected with you. So what is God going to do? He's going to enter into their context and what they would understand through animal sacrifices to say, this is like a credit card. This doesn't really clear the sin, but I'm gonna act like it is. You're gonna swipe your credit card with your goat or your ram or your sheep right now, but eventually there needs to be a penalty. There needs to be a payment. There needs to be a price so that I can redeem you to me. And God had a design in mind from the beginning through his people Israel. In fact, there was a prophet who was speaking to the context of his day. However, this prophet was able to see something that was much further away, 700 years before the time of what he was talking about. And this prophet kind of gets this imagery and is communicating to the Israelite people about this suffering servant. And in this book, it says, as people are reading it for the first time, it says he was despised. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. And probably think to themselves, man, who is he? I wonder who this servant is. Continues on, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment, the punishment. Wait, what? He was pierced. Why would a man hold on to iniquities? I mean, that's what we do with rams and goats and sheep. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And there was the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, by his wounds, it seems like he gets wounded, we are healed. He says, 40 says, 
but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, for he was cut off from the land of the living. Man, it seems like he died for the transgression of my people. He was punished. Man, it seems like he's punished. He was assigned a grave. Man, it seems like he died with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life. Man, it seems like the servant comes back to life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, and my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. What? Who is he? This might have been revolutionary for the people reading it for the first time. They're like, animals did this. Who's he? Especially I wanted to pause just for a moment because I felt like this would be the perfect time to take our offering. (laughs) So if you're an usher, I'd love for you to come forward. And if you're a guest here with us today, hey, there's no pressure to participate. In fact, let this be your first time. We'd love to meet you out at the hub. If If you are call Kensington home and you believe that God has changed your life, then hey, this is an invitation moment to say, Maybe you want to give back so that God can change other people's lives. And you can give in a few ways. You can text the word Kensington to the number 77977. You can follow the links that it sends out. Or you can give on our Kensington app. It's on the app store, again. Um, or you can give online and set up reoccurring payments, which is something my wife and I do. And again, there's no pressure to participate if you're a guest. We'd love to meet you out at the hub. Who is he? Who is this man who seems to bear the iniquities? You know, I have to confess something to you all in here today. I myself, in fact, I am a thinker. So for me, I have a lot of questions and a lot of wonders about a lot of things that I read in the Bible. And maybe you're like me, I have a lot of questions and, and, and instincts I have when people just maybe give faith-based answers to things. And I think today is really important for me. And I don't, realize, I don't think I realize how important today is for me, and here's why. Because for me, whenever I am reading the words of this Old Testament, and maybe this is you, as I'm reading, every single line is testing against what I believe of whether or not this is really true. Every line, even though I can logically explain it, even though I have the information to back it up, I still maybe don't trust the intention of God. And for me, it is absolutely exhausting trying to answer every question And it's something I do very silently and kind of fearfully. I don't like talking about it. I don't like that it's my story. I don't like that that's the way that God made me. In fact, I wish that God made me differently. Like all of you trusters out there who you can just worship God, you can put your hands up. But for whatever reason, God needed, God created me in a way where I, I have to know and I have, because I need to have confidence in what I believe because it informs my life decisions. And today I I find this passage in Isaiah so touching because it's not just about what was written. It's not just about the words that happened on the pages of the Old and the New Testament. It's what they're writing about. Because the whole point of the Old Testament is to set up what happened in the New Testament. And I realize that when you look at the life of Jesus, even atheist scholars believe that Jesus existed and was a real person. And for me, if you can predict and pull off your own death and resurrection, I'm gonna trust whatever you say. And if you can't trust the words of the Bible, do you trust James, the brother of Jesus? I mean, what would your brother have to do in order to convince you that he was God? If you don't trust James and do you trust Paul, 
that if you don't like Christians, Paul killed them. You'd love Paul, but his life was changed and he defended this faith for his life. If you don't trust Paul, do you trust Peter who had stories willingly float around where Jesus calls him Satan and that he would allow this to happen? Do you trust disciples who were cowering in fear, but then they were willing to go to the temple and proclaim Jesus to literally the crowd of the people who literally had just popped their boy off? Why else would you do this unless you saw something, unless you heard something that you believed was true? Why else would disciples in the ancient world cower in fear as the empire said, burn all the literature of the Christians and they cowered in fear, protecting what Matthew wrote and copies of what James wrote. If they didn't believe that it was true, why else would there be an explosion of literature in the first century unless something happened? And today, this message isn't about the information. For me, it's not. I don't need to prove to you My agenda is not to prove to you that this is real. I'm giving this message today because I need to win. But I don't need to win because I am choosing to believe that Jesus already won. Come on, do you believe it in here today? That Jesus already won. That he paid the price. He is the point. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he is the one that I place my faith on. I don't place my faith on an amazing sermon on a stage. I don't place my faith on just words and information that was recorded. I don't place my faith on having an amazing worship moment. I place my faith on the fact that Jesus rose from death and I can put my faith on that. Because people didn't write the Bible just to make the Bible. They wrote the Bible because something happened. And why would you die for something you didn't really believe? was true. So today, I want you to think about the one who you can lay your iniquities upon him and your doubts and your questions all on him. And if you're a thinker here today, man, I hope that you worship God here today through your reflection through your mind and through your meditation. And if you're a trusting here, I want you to lift your hands in the way that you feel led to and express your heart towards God because sometimes it's not just about having all the answers. And I, I've had to come to this conclusion after a lot of careful thinking. That sometimes it's about trusting in the middle of the mystery because that is exactly where he is found. That faith is required in order to access the grace that Jesus has for us. And when I believe that Jesus is, and even if I can't explain it, I have to put my faith on some facts and evidence, but it ultimately has to fall on the person and what he did and who he was. Father, we thank you that you are good in here today and that Jesus, you rose from death and we can place our faith into you. We can place our faith in a resurrected savior who redeemed the world and that Jesus, we follow your teachings and we choose to preserve it and we choose to trust the the words that are written in the page and to to know they describe your essence and your nature and your heart and that God, this is exactly your heart and that this is proven because you rose someone from the dead. And Father, may we look to your intentions in the Old Testament that you decided you wanted to enter into the rules of the kingdom so you could establish a new kingdom that would rule by a man whose name was Jesus. So God, let us look to you, the founder of our faith, the author and perfecter, because we wanna trust you in your name, amen. So join us however you will in reflection or in adoration. Well, I just wanna um, 